Bibles to Psalm 32. And while you're turning there, I want to read for you from question and answer 87 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We talked a little bit about the Westminster Shorter during our Sunday school period this morning where we talked about the confessions and the catechisms of our church. These are documents that go back many, many years and summarize for us some of the most basic truths of the Christian faith. And tonight the question is, what is repentance unto life? And the answer is, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And now we turn to Psalm 32, and I'll be reading that entire psalm and then talking to you about reasons you should be thankful for forgiveness. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and lead you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the Word of God. I'm guessing that many of you could perceive the difference between a welcoming and a Christian home in distinction from a home that is not welcoming and a home that struggles to follow after Christ, simply by virtue of this one particular attribute of the home. And that is whether you grew up in a home in which there was forgiveness, which was freely given and freely requested. You might know, as I've talked about many times, that I respected my mom and dad a great deal, still do, talk to them many times during the week. And I can remember the first time my mother asked me to forgive her. I thought this was a very strange thing. I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. I was really frustrating to her. I'm sure I didn't want to practice my piano lessons or I was teasing my sisters, which of course was justified because they were always annoying. And I did something that frustrated my mother immensely and she said a word I had never heard her say before. And after she said it, she followed it by saying, you know, Jeffrey, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Forgiveness and the need for forgiveness, it is a, is a distinctly 
Christian attribute. And in this psalm tonight, Psalm 32, I want to think with you about that Christian attribute, that thing that belongs to the Christian faith. And specifically, I want you to think about four reasons you should be thankful to God for forgiveness. And the reason I emphasize the thankfulness is because of the way the psalm opens and closes. We have the blessed is the man. That's a way of saying you should feel blessed if this is true of you. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You should feel blessed if that is you. And then the psalm closes by saying, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The psalmist begins by saying, you should be glad this is true about you. Let me tell you about your forgiveness. And then it ends by saying, it should lead you to the point where you want to stand up and shout in thanksgiving, I've been forgiven. So what are the reasons that the psalmist gives that that should be true? Let me give you four of them. Let's start with verses 3 and 4. The psalmist says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It doesn't take very much work to read that David was the author of this psalm. It is believed by many, although there's some speculation about this, that Psalm 32 is a companion to Psalm 51. Then you might ask, of course, when was Psalm 51 written? And we believe Psalm 51 was written very shortly after the events of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and following. If you're wondering about 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'll fill you in. 2 Samuel chapter 11 comes in the life of David, where he has sent his army out for war, and he's walking up on the roof of his palace, and he looks down and sees a woman bathing, and rather than looking away, he lusts after her in his heart. He calls for her One thing leads to another. She's expecting a child. Her husband is called back home. He won't go home to his wife, so David has her husband killed in the heat of battle. It's not hard to accumulate the sins that are found in that chapter. There's pride, there's lust, there's arrogance, which leads to eventually murder. Perhaps that psalm, this psalm, stands as a response that David gives after the events of 2 Samuel chapter 11. If that is true, this psalm talks about the very serious nature of sin. Well, let me say it this way. The first reason we should be thankful for forgiveness is because we need it. We actually need forgiveness. If you think that perhaps Psalm 32 was written on a different occasion in David's life, David piles up all kinds of reasons why he needed to be forgiven. In fact, it's speculated that one of the most powerful apologetics, that is, arguments for the Scriptures, is that the Scriptures nowhere gloss over the shortcomings and the sins of the main characters. David, the man who's called the man after God's own heart, his life is characterized by repeated sins against God. If you look at the very end of his life, he was a man who was a horrible father. You rewind a little bit, a man of great pride, counting his fighting men, making sure that he was confident and sure that he'd remain king. And then we can even go back to the events of 2 Samuel chapter 11. David was a man who was familiar with the need for forgiveness. 
Perhaps you would look at your own life and say, well, I've never done some of those things. I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery with anyone. I've never counted my fighting men, whatever the equivalent of that would be. Maybe when I say he was a terrible father, you say, well, that's closer to my heart. (laughs) There are reasons why I could be accused of that. A number of weeks ago, when we saw the earlier part of the Shorter Catechism, and it talked about the various commandments, and then it talked about what the commandments, if we violate them, what we deserve as a response, and the answer is we deserve the wrath of God. Even if the sins that we commit are not as notorious as the ones that David committed, be honest with yourself. In fact, the New Testament says that if you say you are without any sin, Do you remember what it says? It says you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. What is true for every single one of us here is that we have sinned against God. We have violated his commandments. We've done it internally. That has been expressed often externally. There's not a single one of us who comes here tonight pleading that we are perfect people. The opposite is true. We are people in need of forgiveness by God. Even if the sins that you think to yourself are not as serious as the ones that David committed, those sins still offend a holy God, a God who calls for our repentance. Notice the way that in verses 3 and 4, God urges that repentance on David. He said, when I kept silent, it felt like my bones were wasting away. I was groaning all day long because I could tell that something was wrong. It was like your heavy hand was on, your, your heavy hand was on me. I could find no relief. Maybe there's been a time in your life, I can think of a time in my life where it felt just that way. I can remember stealing something as a child and walking home feeling like my feet were about 20 pounds each. I could barely lift them. The closer I got to home, the harder it was to walk. If you're in that position tonight where you feel the heaviness of heart, you feel like the Lord is pressing in on you, what this psalmist would say, and here's what I'm going to tell you, the first reason you should be thankful to the Lord is that he is making you aware of your need for forgiveness. He's not leaving you where you are. He's not saying to you, just go ahead and sin. It really doesn't matter. You're offending me greatly. No, he's saying to you, you need to be forgiven. I'm showing you your sin. Be thankful for that, my friend. Instead of pushing against him, instead of ignoring him, be thankful that you see the need you have for God's forgiveness. That's the first reason tonight that you ought to be thankful for what David describes in the psalm. Be thankful for the forgiveness that God gives because, first of all, he makes you aware. He makes you aware of the need that you have for that forgiveness. There's a second thing as well, and that's found in verse 5. In verse 5, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, again, if you are anyone who's ever struggled with lying, you will understand how liberating it is for your lie to be found out. It's horrible and great at the same time. Some of you who are young, 
may avoid some homework that is very difficult, and you might lie to your parents and say, I did it, when in fact you didn't. I had a whole string of that when I was in second grade. I lied to my parents about not bringing homework home to do because I hated doing that homework. I hid it on the way home. I can remember my parents going to parent-teachers conferences, coming home, and I could see on my parents' faces, I was found out. And it felt terrible, horrible, especially when I was punished. It also felt awesome. Because instead of having to cover it up and lying upon lying in order to keep my lies safe, finally I could be out in the open. Do you know the liberating sense there is in God finding out your sin so that you can be forgiven? It is sincerely one of those signs that the Spirit of God is at work in you when he doesn't allow you to persist in that sin and continue to cover it up. It's our nature to want to cover it up. We say to ourselves, nobody really needs to know this sin isn't that bad. I can continue doing it. It's not harming anyone. It's certainly not harming me. This is what I want to do. And then the moment comes in your life where the Lord strips away that facade and you're found out obviously before his face you see that perhaps you're found out before others as well i acknowledge my sins to you i did not cover my iniquity and david says i will confess my transgression to the lord and then in the very middle the hinge of this psalm he says and you forgave the iniquity of my sin i can't help but read that and think of the lightness of heart that brings You forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you imagine the way that sin functions in our hearts, it captures us, it binds us, it makes us a slave. We accumulate the penalty for that. We know that we deserve to pay the price for the sin that we have committed. When I began this sermon by saying, if you grew up in a good home, a Christian home, It's not only that your parents might have asked you for forgiveness occasionally, it's also that you knew when you asked for forgiveness, you could be forgiven. Really, truly. The same thing can exist in a marriage, in a friendship, in a church. Where when you ask for forgiveness, forgiveness can actually be granted. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? In fact, throughout Christian history, Christians have struggled with that. This is going to feel like you become someone who is giving away free grace. Grace without a price. It's too easy. How in the world could God look at you, a holy God, and simply say, because you're asking for forgiveness, here it is, and then the iniquity of your sins simply disappears. Viewed from our perspective, that's entirely right. That sin is simply taken away. But you know from the rest of the Scripture, from the time, as I've been reading in Leviticus, for whatever reason, my Bible reading has been heavy in Leviticus recently. (laughs) It is tough to read all those laws about sacrifice without understanding so clearly God was saying to the Israelites if you sin there is a penalty but the blood that is spilled is not your own instead he was training them through all of those sacrifices to point forward as the book of Hebrews says 
that there's a greater sacrifice coming that all those were simply anticipating so that when Jesus died on the cross, he took the penalty for our sin. David is pointing you tonight, my friend, to the reason why the iniquity of your sin is taken away. And it's not because you simply ask. It's because God in his mercy looks at you through his son and he says to you, I know your sin and I take it away because of Jesus Christ. And you know what the reality is? You can leave here with a lightness of heart that your God is not angry with you. He's not secretly waiting as sometimes happens in human relationships. We say, oh, it's fine. But meanwhile, you know in the back of your mind that person is scheming to get you back. The Lord's not like that. No, the second reason you can rejoice here tonight about the beauty of forgiveness is because when you ask for forgiveness, the Lord gives it. And he gives it freely and richly with no reservation. This is not dependent on you asking exactly perfectly or promising as sometimes we do, if you forgive me, Lord, I will serve you perfectly from this point onward. Haven't you ever made that promise? I've made that promise. We're going to make a deal, Lord. Here's the deal. We're going to strike. You do your part, and from now on, I will be perfect. That lasts so little time, as if to emphasize to my heart and yours as well, that we're in no equal partnership with our God. God is the gracious one, the God who forgives liberally, and with no regard to us, he forgives us because of Jesus Christ. To put it simply, as David says in verse 5, you forgive the iniquity of my sin. That's true tonight. Absolutely, entirely true. The third reason you can be thankful for this forgiveness is because this forgiveness, according to this passage, is not only for you, it's to be commended to others as well. Verses 6 and 7 say, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. There are two ways in which this forgiveness is commended by us to others. First, we tell others what the Lord has done. There's a great joy in that. Have you ever experienced that joy of being able to tell someone they are forgiven in God because of Jesus Christ? Believe in him and you are delivered. Imagine giving that news to someone who's sitting in prison, who has done such evil that not even his family will come to see him. He has done such evil he tried to kill himself, and pity of pities, he was unsuccessful. As he once said to me, I'm such a failure in life, I couldn't even take my own life. Can you imagine saying to this man, your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. When you appear before the God of the universe who's holy, 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 you do not need to appear with fear. You can appear with confidence because of Jesus Christ. You can be the greatest failure objectively that this world has ever known, but in Jesus Christ, you are also this second thing. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
When we commend the forgiveness of God to others, we're not only telling them this is true, we have the joy of telling this is what's happened to us. We also can demonstrate it's true in our own lives. Sometimes we're quite hesitant to talk about the things that God has forgiven us. Some of them are very close to our hearts. But you know, it costs you very little unless you really want to guard the perception that other people have of you. It costs us nothing to be honest about the forgiveness that God has granted. What God has given has been paid for by His Son. And as I've said in previous sermons, I want to commend this again. This is something that is very, I think, important not only to me, it ought to be important to every one of us in relationship with others, whether it's husband, a wife, parent, child, friend, a friend, whatever it is, making a habit of being open about our sin and the way the Lord has forgiven us. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise in the way that you do that, but if there's never a time in your relationship with your husband or wife where you say, let me tell you what God has done in my life, the sins he's forgiven me, your marriage is suffering for the lack of it. If that never happens in your home with your children, if you never tell them, let me tell you what the Lord has forgiven me for, do you realize you're not showing your children what it means to delight in the Lord to the degree that you hope. What the psalmist says is not theoretically true, it is actually true. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in your life? For me, the second greatest thing was marrying my wife. The first is that at some point, God in his kindness saved me from who I would have been otherwise. I'm incredibly grateful you don't know that person. (laughs) And I want you to know tonight, friends, I am incredibly grateful that the Lord has saved me from what I could have been. He forgave me. And if you want to shout in thanksgiving for the fact that God has delivered me from my sin, I welcome that shouting. Because in my heart, even in my darkest moments, where I stare at some of the sins I still struggle with, what I need to tell myself over and over and over, and you do too, is that the Lord has forgiven you in Jesus Christ and made you his own. There is no sin that can stand in that way. The Lord is not saying, all that is past, now live a good life, and if you do from this point onward, we'll see about it when you get to the end. (laughs) It's not the way it works. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, there is 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. When those thoughts come whispering in your heart, those are not the thoughts of a godly conscience. A godly conscience will lead you to repentance. But if that leads to despair, let me encourage you to remember these words. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's the third reason you should be thankful for your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Because you can commend it to others. The fourth reason is found in verses 8 and 9. 
And it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. There's a change in the speaker at this point in the psalm. It's not that the speaker is now saying, I will instruct you all. The speaker now becomes God himself. I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. There's no way I could say that to you. I cannot counsel you with my eye upon you in the way that is spoken here. These must be the words of God himself. So that the fourth reason you should celebrate your forgiveness is not just that God forgives you when he's done with you, but God forgives you and he persists with you. He continues with you. This is not that God simply says, I see your sin, you're done. Now go on your merry way. No, he says, I'm going to teach you, after forgiving you, what it means for you to follow me. And he even says, I want you to adopt the attitude, not of the horse or mule, When I read this, I don't think of a horse or a mule. I've never had a horse or a mule, but I did have a guinea pig when I was young, and his name was Squirt. And if I wanted him to go forward and I pushed against his little rear end, he would put all four in reverse. If I wanted to go backwards and I pushed against his nose, he would struggle to go forward. That little guinea pig was born to do the opposite of what I wanted him to do. But you know, if the Lord has given forgiveness, if he's granted you full forgiveness, if you understand what the Lord has given you, he not only grants that forgiveness, he has promised to work within you, to change you from the inside out. It's what Calvin calls the twofold grace of Christ, the grace to forgive us and the grace to renew us. And you can think about that grace in very tangible ways. Look over your life. You see how the Lord continues to refine you? He doesn't just let you persist in the same sins. No, He makes you aware of them, makes you sensitive to them, makes your conscience pricked when you sin against Him. He overcomes the stubbornness. If it's hard for you to confess your sin, gradually he makes it easier to confess it to others maybe he brings alongside of you someone who won't let you get off easy instead he surrounds you with people who lead you who press you to follow after jesus christ be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bitter bridle or it will not stay near you You should celebrate your forgiveness because that forgiveness is the beginning of God's work in you. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. And as he forgives, he rebuilds, he restores, he reconstructs you so that in the language of the Apostle Paul, you can be conformed, you become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Which leads me to these words in 10 and 11. I often think when I preach a sermon to you, I want to capture the same sort of emotion or tone that is found in the passage. 
If it's a serious tone, I want to capture that serious tone. If it is a challenging tone, I want to challenge you. But if it's a joyful tone, I want you to rejoice with me. And this psalm is a psalm of rejoicing. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There are all kinds of reasons for you to be sorrowful in life. And if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, you're going to find so many reasons to be discouraged and sorrowful in this world. You're going to find frustrations in your home, in your community, in your world, in the war that's going on in the Middle East. You're going to find all of these reasons to be frustrated and angry. We live in a frustrated and angry world, don't we? But if we know forgiveness in Jesus Christ, if we know the love of our God and the forgiveness that he gives us, then it is not the frustration and sorrows of the wicked, but it is steadfast love that surrounds us. It is the love of Christ that is ours. And we can rejoice in that. So let me commend you tonight to be glad in the right things to be glad in the Lord, to rejoice. You who are considered righteous in Jesus Christ, let that be your joy. More than whoever wins a game, more than however much you accumulate, no matter how successful your children, let your joy begin here. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, because the Lord has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I am so deeply grateful tonight for this psalm, Psalm 32. If it was, in fact, penned after David rebelled against you by harming Bathsheba and then by murdering her husband. Father, that picture into David's life, that that probing into his life is more than simply events. It is a probing into his heart, the pride, the arrogance, the lust, the desire to misuse and abuse another human being, all those deep, dark, ugly sins. And Father, we share in those sins. As much as we like to pretend as though our hearts are pure and nothing is wrong, and we put ourselves together in such a way that others should be impressed with us externally, before you, Lord, you know everything that we have done. You know the things that we struggle with now. And this gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ comes to us like this breath of fresh air. And we do rejoice and are glad tonight, Lord, that you have seen our need for forgiveness. You've granted it fully and freely in your Son. We can commend it to others. And you've promised that that forgiveness is the beginning of your work to form us more and more after your Son. Father, there is no other, there is no other faith like the Christian faith that is centered, first of all, not in our performance, but on the mercy, the grace of our God. May we be accurate reflections of that grace. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.